0: Hello. I've just told everybody to finish what they're doing and get on. I don't know what it is with my machine on the PC. I seem to have turned the audio off, so I can... I, you can hear me, but I can't hear you, obviously, so I'm on the phone now. Is Chris, is Chris still there? Yeah, I'm still here. All right, so I just can't see you.
1: Andrew, you're a little bit harder to hear since you switched to your phone, so I don't really need to have it closer.
0: I'm just going to see if I can see it on the PC as well. All right, I can see you now. That, that's great. <laughs> This is the Snug Podcast. In this episode, starting do we consult
1: If it's promoted in the right way to patients for the rationale for doing it, then you'll get much more people willing to use it. Once we changed it to the kind of more we wanted to do this, within a month, we had established a 70% contact rate that way, which has virtually never faltered.
0: Hello and welcome to another Snug Podcast. I'm Andrew McElhinney, a GP and member of the Scottish National GP IT Users Group. Hope you're all keeping healthy and managing to navigate the strange new world with face coverings and social distancing. Maybe you're now wearing scrubs at work, but you're probably still doing a lot of communication by telephone and video. It's not always straightforward, as you heard in our little introduction. So, in general practice in Scotland, in July 2020, things are definitely getting busier again, and we all have to deal with pretty much the same issue. How to manage increasing numbers of patient contacts, sometimes for people who have become extremely unwell during the lockdown. Others have saved up lots of minor things for us as if they were early Christmas presents, and we now have to try and work out systems to find the most serious problems, and deal with them as promptly as possible, while signposting non urgent and less serious problems to the most appropriate place, whether that is self care, maybe a community pharmacist, or another member of the healthcare team like mental health care nurse, advanced physio, or nurse practitioner. Escape the wait. Consult with your GP online. A tool that helps us do that is eConsult from WebGP. That's one of a selection of platforms clinic, ask my GP, EMUS online consult or others. These allow a patient to consult with the GP online and find a safe and effective way to manage whatever the problem is. You can now consult with your GP from home or work by visiting your practice website. Fill out a simple online form about your problem and you'll get a response by the end of the next working day. There's also a wealth of self-help information about all sorts of conditions, so you might be able to resolve an issue without a trip to your surgery. I'm sure the issues we discussed today will apply to each of the alternative platforms being introduced as well. But we've decided to focus on eConsult for this episode because we had a lot of interest in the recent episode when we discussed eConsult and near me use in the old Macher practice in Aberdeen. And also, we are just about to introduce eConsult in my own practice, so I am really invested in learning how to implement it well and avoid any pitfalls. So, we wanted to dig into some of the details around what you've got to do to get started. How much publicity is needed to make patients aware that you want them to go to the practice website rather than to the telephone when they need you? How much work is it going to be for admin staff? What are the main practical problems? So, today we're going to share a practice meeting we had in teams a few weeks ago when we all spoke to Dr. Chris McLaughlin, who is a partner in the Stonehaven Medical Group, a practice in the northeast with 13,000 patients, 10 GPs, and an extended healthcare team. They've used eConsult for a couple of years now, and I started off by asking, How do you get to the point where eConsult is up and running and working well? Now, the audio quality isn't great to start with, but it does improve, and I think the first section of what Chris says is particularly interesting. The
1: the way that we got it working well was really to actually put it sort of, I suppose, first and foremost way of patients contacting us. So we went through a fairly challenging change period where we told patients that they would no longer be able to book any appointments on the day directly um, and we wanted them all to submit an online consultation. And that meant that really we very quickly funneled about 70% of our triage onto an online system, um, which had some kickback initially from both patients and admin staff members in particular. I know that was one of your questions was about the admin workload, how has that been affected? They probably had the biggest increase in workload with the implementation, um, whereas clinicians sat at the other end benefiting quite early. Um, So yeah, the, the admin team needed some additional support early on. Um, once we established the, the kind of high contact rate from eConsult, we worked very hard to have a, a positive patient experience as a result of that, I suppose. We, we guaranteed them a very rapid response time of two hours if they submitted it before midday rather than the end of the next working day. And that was, that was deliberate to try and get them to use it and think that they, it wasn't going to be worse than telephone triage in terms of the response time. So we pushed, um, we made sure we staffed well enough in terms of dealing with income and triage to do that. Um, we actually overstaffed ourselves and we were responding to them much faster than we thought and they were much easier to respond to once we got going than we were expecting. So then we were actually cut back on some of that clinical staffing that we put in initially to, to cover the triage. Um, so yeah, it was, a, it was, I suppose, funneling people very strongly saying this is the way we want you to do it. We tried to back that up with the positive messages around, you know, you can do this whenever you want. You can do this and take your time to fill them in. You can give us more comprehensive answers. You know, we were fairly honest and said, these are all the questions that we should ask you, but don't always have the time to do. So we'll get a more complete history. By you doing this, you're going to free up time for us to see someone who really needs it. And I suppose at the time we were doing that, it was pre-COVID and we've got slightly more patient buy-in potentially to protect the NHS services, so they were the kind of patient messages that we tried to promote. And I suppose with any you know, significant change that we deliver something, some people kicked back on that, uh, and there were some teeth and issues we had to sort out. The patients that mostly were unhappy were more elderly patients who felt that it was digitally discriminating against them or people in their situation, and um, that was probably the main thing. Um, we obviously tried to work quite hard to make sure that people knew telephone was always going to be an option. We just didn't really want it to be an option. Hmm. Um, you know, we started removing our telephone number from you know various places that we could on websites and on our overheads and stuff, and direct people to be using e-consult rather than rather than phoning us. Um, the the main issues the patients had in terms of beyond just the fact we'd made them do something different, where the length of time it takes to fill in some of the forms. Um, Now, we've got an average time of 14 minutes for a patient to fill in a form. And so once we knew that, we were able to say, but those 14 minutes are offset by the length of time it takes you to get through the phones in the morning and wait in the queue versus travel to the practice versus then sitting waiting for your doctor who's running 10, 15, 20 minutes late. So we just just tried to turn that around to make it realise it was still time well spent. the other more common complaint so um, depending how you're using it and your response time that you're going to commit to, some of the red flags are still set a little bit too sensitively Um, and probably the most common one is is the pain score which if you score a pain score of 7 or above it doesn't let you complete and so patients would get frustrated if they'd made it three quarters of the way through a template to then hit a red flag. Um, Now, a lot of the red flags are there for good reason, so we've always discouraged people from lying as such or changing their answer. Because when you click on it and it hits a red flag, it does give you an option of saying, go back. And then when you go back, you can change your change your answer so you can get through. But we've never formally uh, recommended patients do that, um, although some have learned the system and do. Um, and the red flags are said so that if somebody submits one on a Friday night at 7 o'clock, they're not guaranteed a response till six pm on the Monday, so you know it is almost seventy-two hours of somebody who've said they're suicidal shouldn't wait seventy-two hours necessarily. Um, so we've had to work on kind of reassuring patients that if they get a red flag that they, you know, we appreciate their effort of doing it, but they can phone through and we'll pick it up. Um, if they do have a red flag, the consultation doesn't go any way further, so it's all lost as such. All the information entered. And that's, from the company's perspective, that's a medical defence kind of position that they can't allow it to progress, they can't send it anywhere um, because once a higher risk bit of information is known to a practitioner, they have a clinical responsibility to act upon it. So it just stops them and says you have to phone. It says either phone your GP practice 111 or go to A&E.
0: Can I just take it back a step? um, If I think at the initial stage, I mean, we would imagine people would phone up and say, well, if they want to speak to a doctor, then fine. But then we'd be encouraging all same day people to do the online triage. Is that is that right?
1: That's what we did. So when they phoned up in the first um, several weeks of running it in the way we do, the admin team would say, you can't book directly anymore. We want you to go to a practice website. They would talk them through why, you know, give them reasons for why we want them to do that. And they would push very hard for them to. Come off the phone and not just do a telephone triage. So they did have to push them to say, you know, at that point we didn't overly advertise telephone triage would be the backup. But if patients really said, "I don't have internet access, I don't have a you know device I can do this on," and then they would take their information. Um, but yeah, the first the first message was always, "Please use our online service, you know, to to submit your consultation." We put that at the very beginning of our phone lines when we come into the practice and so somebody phoned in. Before they even spoke to someone, that was the message. We have now changed our system. We want you to use the eConsult platform on the website for all contacts. So they have heard that before they can get through to reception. Reception, reiterate the message. Uh, Patients that are willing will then go off and give it a try. And others that weren't willing, we would take their details for telephone triage.
0: Would it um, take a lot of time for admin staff to enter details, you know, for people that didn't want to do it?
1: Yeah, so we, we... We abandoned that on day one. If I've been honest, the admin team were finding it a bit stressful, um, and they did ten attempts, of which seven hit a red flag. (laughs) And so when I and I I missed the morning, so I had another meeting of the launch. And when I came in at lunchtime, they wanted to kill me for having implemented this. So. On the forums I'm on, other places have done that more successfully, Um, but it's not something that we then decided to to maintain. We changed it to having our own internal e-consult light, I suppose, which is just a a hotkey that our staff sort of use, which pre-populates some of the key questions that they ask the patients to give us some of the, I suppose, the headline information that you might get from an e-consult submitted fully. And we've not really tried again to get them to fill it in on behalf of patients.
0: OK. And then when the forms come through, do they come into Docman?
1: No, so they, at the moment they go into an email account. Um, and it might be that if, if interoperability comes with our new GP systems in the future, that would be different. But at the moment it's an email account that is monitored by the admin team um, and is then pulled into Docman from there. So the admin team will pull it, will pull it across, file it into the patient's notes, and then add the patient to the triage list. But yes, it does need monitoring throughout the day. I think the phones are much, much quieter. We had a we had a drop in about a third of our incoming phone calls from about nine to ten thousand a month down to about six to seven on different months. So yeah, with no significant increase in the length of phone call either, which was good. You know, so there was a 20 second increase, which was accounted by the message we put on at the beginning. But the staff weren't spending any longer on phones, um, even though they were taking triage details. Um, And we think that was probably because in the past they were struggling to find an appointment to put someone into and would have to go through different options. So it didn't increase the length of call, but it dropped them by about a third. So then that on the other side of the admin staff's increased workload at the start, that does have a, a positive effect downstream once you've achieved that. And who's doing the, um, who's reading the uh, the e-consult queries in the email account? Is it you know, a half GP, half AMP, or, or how are you doing that? Well, we we've gone with predominantly GPs in terms of the, I suppose, Bob was thought that the person with the most experience, most skill, is more likely to be able to deal with them. I suppose what we call remotely than, than AMPS. But our AMPS do an hour every day of the triage, and and increasingly they're being used more. Especially in COVID, where we've got actually more capacity, part of the reason for GPs doing them was also to make sure they were redirected to the right person. So we, when we first launched it, we were using the GPs as a, I suppose we use the term a quarterback. So you'd look at it, you would go, this this needs to be just dealt with by someone, the best person is an A.M.P., so you put it onto the A.M.P.'s list, um, or if you thought no, I, this can be dealt with remotely, you would do that. So we were kind of very rapidly moving some of them around.
0: And how much publicity did you give us at the start? Like, how did you go about letting everyone know about this big change?
1: Um, Not as much as we should have, is the answer to that. But we we had used the system for about um, three months and getting low volume contacts. And because we had sort of come in at the tail end of a government pilot, we were sort of considering whether we would want to fund that in the year's time when the funding ran out. And with the volume of contacts we were getting, we didn't want to fund it. We didn't think it was worthwhile in the terms of appointments it was saving. So we agreed that we wanted to try the sort of digital first approach. And we wanted to do that before the October holidays kicked in. So we had it working for the winter. So it only gave us three weeks to prepare and plan and implement, which meant that our engagement with patients wasn't as robust as it should have been. So we involved a patient participation group, but we made a decision that um, given we only get about three to 400, I suppose, contacts a week, that we were happy just to deal with those as they as they came. We put out messages on our website. We did a text message campaign. We did a, a local newspaper. We put it on our Facebook page. So we did communicate that way. But of course, that mainly communicated with the people that this service suited. And not the ones that it doesn't suit. So it was it was again, it was those ones that you know, we were asked why we didn't send a letter to every household in our practice. Um, and it was because we didn't want to spend the money doing that when we thought we could manage it differently. We may have made a different decision in retrospect um when we looked into the actual cost and some of these mailing services that, you know, Royal Mail or Doc Mail do, but we were still probably talking about £1,500 or a grand 1500 for our practice population. So we opted not to do that. And it's, it, it's worked out in the end, but I have had to have two town hall meetings to appease the, the, some of the, the public about their concerns. Might have been better spending the money.
0: <laughs> so, so would you say, you know, you'd take about a, a year in normal times to get it up and running, you know, before you get to the stage where it's really efficient?
1: Well, no, I mean, what well, I've had a lot of conversations with practice recently, and what I would say is that you would want to do a, a, a fairly short, soft launch. And that soft launch is really about um, getting your practice comfortable with it and your practice sort of pathways sorted, um, but then moving into a, a harder launch. So you would advertise it to patients. You would give that three-month, I suppose, period as they run into, we're going to want everyone to do this. And some people opt in at that point before they are, you know, directed that way more heavily. And that helps you as clinicians get used to seeing them and it helps the admin team work out how to handle them. Um, Once we changed it to the kind of more, I suppose, yeah, we want you to do this. Within a month, we had established a 70 percent contact rate that way, which has virtually never faltered. Um, And within two months, we were at our peak numbers, which have pretty much stayed the same. So we get an average of about 300 a week and I think the most we've ever had is 340 and then depending on seasonal demand, it'll drift a little bit up and down, but around about 300 a week that we get now um, and we achieved that pretty quickly.
0: That was done pre-Covid?
1: That was pre-Covid, yeah.
0: So yeah. so obviously in the changed circumstances, we've got a different you know, context for doing it?
1: Yeah, I, I don't know if you found your practice contacts had reduced and then are coming back up or not. Um the earth didn't reduce too much, actually. And I don't know if that was because of e-consult or not. They did, they did go down, and we had a lot more capacity to deal with them, which was good. Um, but we're we're starting to increase again now. But still, I think last week was 320 e-consults we got. We're, we're still about 65 66% in the last month of e-consult as the main route into the practice rather than telephone triage. So that's been maintained even with COVID.
0: Leslie have you got any more any more questions from your end because it's a big admin thing really no the only thing would be that what happens um with the replies you know when the yeah. doctor actually makes some you know how does that get back to the patient
1: so there's you can you can again at the same time your resources and who's got the you suppose you, you look at the efficiency of the best way. When we did it, we were trying to release clinician time, so we put a lot of the response responsibility back to admin. That was partly because when you get an e-consult in in the email, there's a live link where you can click to send a message back to a patient with the outcome. When it's scanned into DocMan, that live link disappears. Now, we found a shortcut for reactivating it just in the last couple of months, and we've been trying that out. But initially, we would send a response back to the admin team who would then contact the patient with the outcome. And when we first launched, if the outcome was a face-to-face appointment, they would phone them and say, you've you've been offered a face-to-face appointment with nurse practitioner, let's book it. Um, If it was for collecting scripts, if it was for med threes, if it was for go somewhere else, then either we'd send them a text message or we would send a response by the e-consult email. What we've been trying recently is the GPs doing the direct responding or the AMPs by reactivating the link from Docman. Um, So cutting out the admin team other than from ones where you think, you know, actually when we do near me consultations, we get the admin team to set that up to make sure the patient knows how to access it, for example, but we'll, we'll use the sort of uh, automated responses and send them instead, which are, they've they've been working on improving that so that there there are more responses available um, you can attach documents to that now as well, which is quite useful. Um, and the GPs that have been doing that, and these, you know, more recently, are finding it's not taking much longer than the way we were sending messages back to the admin team, because you're, you're really sending the same message. Um, you have to be a bit more careful with your wording if you're sending it direct to the patient that doesn't contain sensitive information or that it's in a uh, suppose a format the patient will understand. Um, but once you get used to doing that, it's it's pretty quick. Um, and I suppose before COVID, we would have been doing thirty percent upwards of that. Would have not had any telephone contact from a GP. Then about twenty-five percent would have had a telephone call, and forty-five percent would, have been, or fifty percent, would have been face-to-face. Uh, again, with COVID, that's all changed, and it's ninety-nine percent telephone, or sorry, ninety-nine percent non-face-to-face. And we're probably getting about 40% that we're just sending messages straight back and then the rest we're phoning. It, it depends whether you need admin to be involved or anyone, because if you're going to pick up the phone and deal with it, then you don't need to send a response back to them. So it's, it depends. And probably when you, at the start, you might find you end up phoning more until you become more confident with using it and actually just treating people on the basis of what has been put in the consult. You know, again, early for us, we were definitely doing... Much more, we're just phoning to check and make sure you get the message and give, here's, your, here's what you think you should do. But that will probably you know reduce over time as you get used to using it.
0: Is, is replying by the e email OK from an information governance
1: point of view? Yes. Yeah, so the, um, when the patients agree to the terms and conditions of using e-consults, that's one of the first screens when the patient does it. Within those terms and conditions, they're um, signing up to an electronic response to their consultation? and the response um, goes to their email, so they have to take control of that, which is why they recommend no sensitive information, but then it's not stored anywhere in terms of from, from the practice side of things. There's no risk of a confidentiality breach or a data protection breach. So what we do is we, we just very quickly copy and paste whatever the message is, and we, we pop that into the journal and um, vision, you know, to record what the feedback has been. So, has uh, there been any implications for indemnity moving to this? All the big indemnity companies have signed off on the product, um, which is partly why these red flags are a little bit tight, I suppose, because uh, that's, that, that's kind of how they've got the indemnity there. But, yeah, so we don't, you don't need to change your indemnity or take extra indemnity as a result of it.
0: I mean, I I guess we're we're, we're very interested in using it, but wary of the kind of organisational and effort changes required and, you know, potentially the amount of moans you might get. I mean, I see you didn't have any SEAs, but you've obviously had quite a few people moaning about it.
1: Yes, yeah. And and whether you'd get less of them just now just because of the circumstances that you're considering using it, I suspect you would, but I don't think you'd get none. Um, You know, so we... Mostly it was verbal complaints to the admin team and um, there was then letters to the practice and we put out a standardised response almost to them because they were all the same theme um, and so we ended up just responding to most of them the same. We decided that it was just easier to take a public meeting to just address the concerns um, and that went well. You know, people understood the rationale behind it much better after having that opportunity to hear from us directly or ask us questions directly. Um, but again, I don't think you would get the same kickback just now if if it's promoted in the right way to patients for the rationale for doing it, then I think you'll get much more people willing to use it than you than we did, I suppose, nearly two years ago now. There's also a Scottish users group that sort of appeared on Teams now that they were starting to link in and kind of communicate with each other and just give feedback or tips and things. So um, that's proven to be quite useful.
0: Well, it seems to be a lot of practices up in Grampian
1: using it, isn't there? Well, we are hoping um, that all practices in Grampian are going to have it funded for a year under some of the primary care improvement plan underspend, which is occurred partly as a result of COVID. Uh, and they're sort of winging that through based on the fact that you can now do chronic disease management through it as well. Um, so although it was predominantly initially an acute kind of you know unscheduled care as such, it was all new problems, they've now got Seven or eight chronic disease templates, which which helps as well. So that's another arm to it. They're relatively new and, and we're still testing them out, but it does help. So we're hoping that all practices in will have it actually fairly soon. Because there's
0: this other thing for chronic disease management called Medlink or something?
1: Yes, I've seen that as well. And it's, um, I suppose, considerably cheaper if it has a standalone provider. Um, and I suppose the, the reason we haven't explored it is because we've already established e and our patients are used to it. Um, but I think if, if prices weren't using something like eConsult and were looking for just chronic disease, the MedLink looks pretty good.
0: But I guess if you're paying for eConsult, there's no point in having both.
1: Yeah, and you know, and again, the forums I'm one once this chronic disease template started coming through, there was a flurry of requests for which ones they want next. You know, from dementia to epilepsy to um, you know HRT, menopause, you know, so loads of different requests, which I'm sure they'll get to you know, making at some point, it just takes a bit of time to, to do it. But.
0: but but for something like diabetes, you'd say it's OK.
1: So diabetes is there. Again, it's a new template. So there's been some immediate feedback on a couple of the questions. The asthma one's pretty effective. COPD one's pretty good. There's a hypertension one, which is OK. And a few too many questions in some of them. Contraception review is very safe. But it's something like 25 questions for a patient, which is some patients not particularly keen on but again it asks all the contraindications that i never do if i'm being honest um, and i just you know say your blood pressure's okay and you're not overweight there you go and um, so it's, it's good in, the, in terms of it's safe but it's yeah whether patients will use it or not i'm not sure
0: well listen thanks a million for giving us your time today really appreciate it okay cheers So big thanks to Chris for speaking to us and being so honest about the fact that introducing change in the way a practice works isn't that easy. The fact that they had set things up before the pandemic has obviously meant that their patients were able to get a consistent level of service throughout, and lots of other practices, including ourselves, now see this as an essential development for the future. In Snug, we're keen to share tips on how to use GPIT systems most effectively, and we do welcome any comments or thoughts you might have after listening to this or any of our other podcasts. If you want some non coronavirus food for thought, make sure you catch the last edition when we discussed why you might want to think twice about blindly following clinical guidelines. The links to find out more about eConsult and also how to find our Twitter and Facebook pages are in the details attached to the podcast. So that's it for now. Hope to speak to you soon. Bye.